Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Hello there and welcome, welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. This edition is Wrongdoer Wednesday, where you know that I talk about all things that could affect you adversely, criminal matters. I'm going to talk today about arson. That's right, arson, setting fire. Ooh, horrible thoughts about what that can do. On Wrongdoer Wednesday and on every other day, particularly though with Wrongdoer Wednesday, I always want to share my belief that you should savor the ups and avoid the downs, and not just in the law. Get rid of all the negatives in your life, that negative energy, those toxic people around you. Get rid of them. They don't do you any good. You can't thrive with that kind of thing, that aura around you that is negative. Get rid of all of that and savor the ups. Yes, why wouldn't you want to? Enjoy the good. Take pride in your accomplishments. Embrace those that love you and lift you up. So here we are now talking about lifting people up. We have a very serious situation that I want to explain in detail and give you some information about cases where people have started off with that gas can or that match and done unbelievable, horrible damage, setting fires, arson. You know, some people start fires for insurance money or to cover up crimes. Arsonists set fires to feel control. And in many cases, believe it or not, sexual excitement. Profilers of these nut jobs say that they have few close relationships and they start blazes to feel important. Many only have a high school education or less, but some of the most prolific have showed a surprisingly high degree of intelligence. So what is arson really? I mean, we know what it is, but let me go into the legal of this. Arson is defined as the willful and malicious burning or charring of property. There are many types of arson crimes, including setting fire to one's property with fraudulent intent, like when someone burns their house down to collect insurance money. While the majority of arson crimes involve damage to buildings, arson can also be committed by a person who sets fire to a forest land or a boat or a car. Arson statutes typically classify arson as a felony due to the potential to cause injuries or death. In its most basic sense, a person commits arson when they knowingly, by means of a fire or explosive, damage any real or personal property of someone else, obviously without their consent, or damage any real or personal property with intent to defraud an insurer. Now, many states 
recognize differing degrees of arson based on such factors as whether the building was occupied and whether insurance fraud was intended. Less serious arson cases can result in minor punishments, while other arson cases can result in the death penalty. Arson is handled in various courts throughout the country in many different ways. Many states classify arson crimes into different categories or degrees. More serious categories or degrees of arson can result in stricter punishments, of course. Setting fire to an occupied building, for example, can result in a more serious or severe arson charge than setting fire to an abandoned barn, uh, you know, out someplace in the farmland or the countryside. Arson is investigated by elite law enforcement units and fire departments using the most advanced chemical analysis to locate the point of origin of a fire. Law enforcement can take months or years to fully investigate before a case is charged. You'd think they'd be able to do it quickly, but not always the case. Law enforcement looks at the motivation behind the crime. Arson occurs in domestic violence cases to hide another crime, including murder and for financial gain. Ugh, horror, horrible stuff. In many instances, people engage in arson to commit insurance fraud and get quick money. A person who sets fire to their own property can face arson charges, of course. Uh, for example, let's just take a woman, uh, let's give her a name, Alice. Let's say she has a $1 million fire insurance policy on a falling apart building that would be worth half of what uh, it would otherwise be if she tried to sell it. If Bob burns the warehouse down and then tries to collect the proceeds of the insurance policy, Bob can be found guilty of both arson and insurance fraud. I want to just go around the country just a little bit and give you some ideas about what different states do. I'm going to finish up a little bit more of instructional, informational stuff, and I'm going to come back after the break. And I want to talk about some specific cases so you can get an appreciation of the enormity and the severity uh, of these types of cases. So uh, pick North Carolina. The arson laws of North Carolina classify the burning of any dwelling or mobile home that is occupied at the time as a first degree felony and any dwelling that is unoccupied as a second degree felony. These uh, differences in, in designation, of course, affect the potential for punishment. North Carolina criminal statutes also specify the burning of other specific structures, such as schools, places of business, churches, boats, uh, tobacco houses. You know, I don't think we have too many tobacco houses in my area. I've never seen one, but I guess they exist in North Carolina, right? Uh, they, these are all felonies, but with lesser punishments. Let's jump up north a little bit to Illinois. The laws against arson in Illinois specify that arson crimes exist only if the real or personal property has a value of $150. Well, okay, kind of a stupid law. I mean, you know, $150. I mean, I could take my, uh, you know, take my uh, box of uh, Nestle Crunch uh, cereal and burn that. And that's a structure, I guess, when it's sitting there. But it's not worth $150, so they're not going to charge me with arson. Anyway, laws are laws. There are buildings such as schools or churches that don't have a minimum value for arson to be determined. 
Well, I don't get that, but that's part of the Illinois law. Illinois makes a distinction between arson and aggravated arson. The difference is that for aggravated arson, the fire must have been intentionally set and the person was inside the building or a person was injured or a police officer or fireman was injured. Let's jump east a little bit. New York. State arson laws divide the crime into four categories for the purpose, of course, of assigning punishment. These four categories further divide into two classes. Of course, it's like New York to be complicated. The two classes are whether or not the building was occupied at the time of the burning or not. Special consideration is given if an incendiary device like a Molotov cocktail was propelled into the building. California includes the burning of forest land in its arson statutes. Well, goodness gracious, we've all seen how many fires are out in California. That should be a law. Now, in the federal law, in addition to state statutes, there, there are laws against arson, of course. The basic federal arson statute prohibits the willful and malicious setting of fires within the maritime and territorial jurisdiction of the United States. This applies to any of the following, buildings, structures or vessels like boats or yachts or what have you, machinery or building materials or supplies, military, uh, military bases, naval stores, munitions uh, supply areas, and structural aids or appliances for navigation or shipping. Federal arson laws also cover the attempt to start the fire or entering into a conspiracy to do so. Now, the punishment for starting a fire significantly depends on the harm that was done. If the fire was set because of recklessness and not with deliberate intent, and there was little damage and no person was injured, some states will treat the arson as a misdemeanor, believe it or not. However, in most cases, any setting of a fire will be treated as a felony. Prison terms vary from a possible two years for an arson of an unoccupied structure where the property damage was under a certain amount specified by state law to the potential for life in prison if there was a death or serious bodily injury as a result of the fire. Now, with every crime, there's a possibility that there's a defense. So depending upon the state, one defense to arson might be that you're simply burning your own property. And therein, of course, you're not doing it for insurance proceeds to, uh, to uh, perpetrate a fraud on an insurance company. As long as you don't damage someone else's property and don't cause any injuries, states like New York will accept your ownership of the property as a defense. Interesting, huh? Not all states make that distinction. So before you take a match, you should go check your state's laws and goodness gracious, why would you burn something down? You know what? If you're that anxious to get rid of it, just sell it or just walk away, you know, donate it to, you know, to some charity and they can get some use out of it. All right. Just my two cents here. Before I uh, hit the break, I want to just give a shout out and thank the sponsor for my uh, podcast here, a group called the Legal Writing Launch. Uh, now, this is a legal writing class. The professor of this class, the, the teacher, is a law professor, a woman, a wonderful woman by the name of Bev Myers. And Bev uh, has a distinction of being 
having worked as an attorney in the California Attorney General's office, General's office, excuse me, and uh, she currently is a law professor out in the Bay Area, out in San Francisco. Um, the classes, you'd say, well, you know, why am I talking about this? You know, the likelihood is that you probably are not a lawyer or, uh, you know, a law student or taking the bar exam or something like that. And, you know, I understand that. I kind of think I know who my audience is here. And most of these uh, shows are for consumers, not for lawyers. So why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because, well, you know, lawyers have only one thing that they can sell, and that's a, their ability to communicate, their mental process and, and the ability to communicate. And so the communication has to be intelligent. It has to be concise. It has to be clear. It has to be logical. It has to be ordered. And that's exactly what these courses do for anyone, not just people who are lawyers or in law school. So you might want to consider this if you were interested in learning how to think more clearly and concisely and in that fashion, then you can also write better. Anyway, get a hold of, of Bev Myers by going and signing up on her website, legalwritinglaunch.com, or you can email her, Bev, B-E-V, at legalwritinglaunch.com. And by the way, when you do sign up, make sure you put into her uh, discount area the name of this podcast and you'll get a 10% discount, Legal The Legal Merry-Go-Round. So you get a 10% discount. You can choose one of three classes. Who knows? Maybe take all three of them. But thank you very much, Bev, for being a sponsor of the show. We really appreciate it. I'm going to take a little little break, and I'll be right back. Okay, you're going to love this one. This is, I was dead. I didn't know what was going to happen. So in 2008... An Illinois woman, 58 years old, tries to sue the estate of this 18-year-old kid who wasn't too bright, a uh, kid an unfortunate victim of a train accident. So while attempting to catch the train, the, the kid runs across the tracks and he's struck by the train going 70 miles an hour. This is disgusting. This is gross. Portions of the young man's deceased body struck the woman as she waited on a nearby train platform injuring her shoulder, wrist, and leg. The lower court judge dismissed this case, saying that the young man could not have predicted where his body would strike because he was dead. Get this. An appeals court later disagreed and said that it was reasonably foreseeable that a high-speed train could kill someone running on the tracks and send his flying body parts into crowds of waiting passengers. Oh. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. 
Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Well, I am back. Did you have a fiery time during the break? Uh, you get the pun, the play on words, a fiery time. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I want to quote my friend Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires. I actually was out west um, in the summer of 2018 with some one 2019, excuse me, with with a group of wonderful friends. We did a tour of all the national parks. Well, not all of them, like seven or eight national parks. We took 13 days. Had a private uh, tour guide that took us in a real nice little bus and. Uh, stayed in a lot of the parks. It was really fun. And and one of the uh, the stops, we stopped in a place where um, there was a little house and out comes this guy wearing a Smokey the Bear costume. So I got a couple of photos with him. I thought it was just just, just a really fun, hilarious kind of uh, little break from uh, you know all the hiking we did. All right, well, back to the show. Arson. I want to share with you some of the, uh, the terrible arsonists that have come through our, our country and, and talk about their cases and what happened. Julio Gonzalez uh, set one fire but killed 87 people. After immigrating to New York City during the Mariel boat lift in 1980, goes way back, right, 40 years ago, Julio Gonzalez was working as a warehouse employee when he met Lydia, who became his girlfriend. A decade later, after losing his job and getting dumped, a drunk Gonzalez visited Lydia while she was at work as a coat check girl at the Happy Land Social Club. Oh, cool. You ever been there? Me neither. Probably not. It was an illegal bar in the Bronx. Lydia begged him to leave, and he shouted threats while being thrown out by a bouncer. So after purchasing a dollar's worth of gasoline at a nearby gas station, he returns to the club where he pours the gas over the stairs, the only exit, and threw a match on it. The fire burned so rapidly that patrons didn't have time to stop what they were doing and flee. Fire investigators found the dead stopped midlife. Lydia was one of six survivors. Gonzalez watched the firefighters battle the blaze, and profilers say that the, uh, these, these arsonists, they love to watch, right? So then he went home to take a nap. When police interviewed the survivors, Lydia told them about her fight with Gonzalez. Gonzalez, then uh, approached by cops, admits that he sets the fire. He didn't even get rid of the evidence. His gas-soaked clothes were still in his apartment. He was found guilty of 174 charges of murder, two for each person who died, and was sentenced to 25 years for each count for a total of 4,350 years. 
Yeah, my guess is that uh, Julio is going to say his last goodbye to life in a jail. The punishment is mostly symbolic, of course, because he's going to serve the sentences concurrently. Uh, John Pillow Pyro Orr, he is said to have set almost 2,000 fires. But unlike Mr. Gonzalez I just talked about, despite the higher number of fires set, the records reflect that only four people were killed. The cost, however, was tens of millions of dollars of property damage. John Orr hoped to be a Los Angeles cop, but he didn't make the cut. Instead, he joined the Glendale Fire Department as an arson investigator. Isn't that a riot? His co-workers thought Orr was strange. He chased down shoplifters and burglars in his fire truck. But they admitted his dedication and his uncanny ability to be the first firefighter on the scene. He always knew where the hydrants were, the best way to put out each fire, and how to find the cause of the fire. His colleagues never suspected that Orr was the man they had dubbed Pillow Pyro. Orr used the same incendiary device for all of his blazes, a cigarette attached to a book of matches wrapped in paper with cotton and bedding, hence the nickname, uh, secured with a rubber band. The cigarette would burn down and the matches would ignite the paper and bedding. In 1984, a fire at a local hardware store killed four people, including a two-year-old child, and destroyed the building and nearby establishments. During an arson investigators conference in Bakersfield, California, uh, several suspicious fires broke out. At one of the fires, investigators found a single fingerprint on a piece of notebook paper. Two years later, during another fire investigators conference in Pacific Grove, an outbreak of small fires occurred. Bakersfield's arson investigator compared the participants at both conferences and found 10 people attended both. By 1991, the investigators formed the Pillow Pyro Task Force and published a profile, noting the suspect was most likely an arson investigator from the greater Los Angeles area. The fingerprint found at the first conference was compared to those of the 10 attendees of both conferences. It matched Orr's fingerprint. When he was arrested, police found cigarettes, rubber bands, and binoculars. Interestingly, his literary aspirations contributed to his downfall. He wrote a manuscript called Point of Origin, describing a fireman who was an arsonist which became damning evidence. He wrote to Aaron, the smoke was beautiful, causing his heart rate to quicken and his breath to come in shallow gasps. He was trying to control his outward appearance and look normal to anyone around him. He relaxed and partially stroked his erection, watching the fire. Sick, sick person. Or is serving life plus 20 years for arson and the four murders. The next one, a guy by the name of Raymond Lee Euler, uh, 24 fires under his belt, five people killed, uh, destroys over 40,000, excuse me, acres, amounting, more to, amounting to more than $9 million in damages. Raymond Euler was a 36-year-old dim-witted mechanic in Riverdale, California. His own lawyer characterized him as dopey. He trained for three months to become a volunteer firefighter, but quit. 
Yet his love for the affair continued. He began starting small fires, but minor blazes weren't enough for him, apparently. He became obsessed with lighting a mountain on fire. He started more and more fires by attaching a Marlboro cigarette to a pack of matches, placing it in the brush, and lighting the cigarette. After bragging to his girlfriend about his fires, she threatened to leave him if he didn't stop. So he quit for six months before starting again. Okay, so the girlfriend's a little bit of a nut job, too. Guy's confessing, of course, to admitting all these fires. And she says, oh, honey, please stop, rather than calling the cops. In October 2006, investigators say Euler placed his trademark incendiary device in a gully near Esperanza Avenue in Cabezon. Cabezon? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. The Santa Ana winds fed the fire and it spread at speeds up to 40 miles an hour with flames leaping more than 100 feet into the air. The 1,300-degree fire melted guardrails along Highway 243. A truck driver testified that he saw Euler at a gas station watching the fire. He claims Euler said, the fire is happening just the way I thought it would. A wave of fire rolled over five firefighters as they tried to save a house from the blaze and all five died. A 500,000, half a million dollar reward was offered for any information related to the Esperanza blades. Arson investigators were already looking at Euler for two similar, smaller fires set in early summer. Both of the cigarettes used to light the flames had Euler's DNA on them. Police officers first arrested him for the two smaller blazes and then later charged him for the bigger Esperanza fire. While there was no DNA on the device that started the Esperanza blaze, it was identical to those uh, with Euler's DNA on them. After a guilty verdict, a judge sentenced Euler to death. Ugh. Okay, tough. Uh, tough, tough to swallow what these people do. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. Thomas Sweat. More than 350 fires that he set. Two people confirmed dead, but there might have been five more. Millions and millions of dollars worth of damage. When Thomas Sweat saw an attractive man, he would follow him home. But instead of talking to the object of his affection, Sweat would set fire to the man's house or car. That's a strange way of showing you're interested in somebody. For more than 30 years, Sweat set hundreds of fires in the metro Washington, D.C. area. Sweat often tossed incendiary devices into police cars and then watched them burn. Each time he set a fire, he used a similar gadget. He'd fill a milk jug with gasoline and plug the opening with a piece of clothing that served as a wick. The wick burned plastic for more than 20 minutes, and after the fire consumed the container, Gas fumes escaped and caught fire. In two different fires, elderly women were unable to escape and later died. So at the scene of a fire in Arlington, Virginia, in December of 2004, officials found a pair of pants from a Marine dress uniform. They retrieved DNA from the pants, which matched mystery DNA that investigators had obtained from a strand of hair and wicks from three incendiary devices found at other fires. Sweat often used his own clothing as wicks. 
when investigators visited a Marine base in Southeast Washington, D.C., Naval Criminal Investigation Services mentioned that a car often sat outside the base while the driver stared at the Marines. NCIS felt this man was responsible for, for several car fires on base, but they didn't have proof, and the fires had suddenly stopped. For weeks, the police tailed sweat before asking him for a DNA sample, which he voluntarily gave. Police matched his DNA to the dress pants and the DNA found at the three fires. Sweat pled guilty to fires in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland, and is serving a life sentence in a federal prison. These are just some of the stories of some of these real sickos. It's like, you know, there's even not even a discussion that can be had here. You know, please be careful when you're around fire. You know, it can cause damage to you, to others, and to property. I guess that's all I want to say. This is just so obvious and above board as to the the disgusting concept of someone that wants to set a fire and watch it burn. And uh, all right, listen, so today is Wrongdoer Wednesday. I very much appreciate you giving me your ear. Uh, I'm going to be back on Friday with the show's title, as you know, is Fender Bender Fridays, where I'm going to be talking about compensation for injuries that you suffer because of others doing what they shouldn't have done or not doing what they should have done. Um, there's even compensation for, for burn injuries, for fires. So if that's something that happens to you, I'd, I'd very much be honored if you wanted to call me and I can help you with burn injuries. Those are some of the most horrible things known to man. That's, in fact, statistically, um, a burn injury is the single most uh, difficult trauma for medical personnel to address and is the single highest cause of death by trauma deaths uh, known to medical science. Uh, it's beyond even beginning to explain uh, how horrible a burn injury can be. All righty. Well, listen, anyway, again, thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. I'd love your review on Apple. I'd love you to, uh, to subscribe to my show. And uh, I, I hope you have a wonderful couple of days until Friday when I know, I know you're going to be tuning in again to listen to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. Take care and best to you. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.